Many experts, including many here in the United States, believe that the, the best use for these types of antibody tests are at the so-called back end, or when we are on the other side of the curve, when employers, particularly large employers, have the tough decision, should, should my people, should my workforce come back to work, should they stay home? They look not unlike a home pregnancy test. It's a cassette with a membrane in it, and you, you literally prick your finger and press on a little pad, a little, a little uh, opening at the beginning, and, and put a couple drops of buffer, and, and in a few minutes, two to three minutes, stripes will appear. Europe is a few weeks ahead of us on this. I'm hearing, and this is one of the reasons why it's hard to get supply. Germany, for example, has bought millions and millions of these tests. And I believe Switzerland and France are placing orders as well. The advantage of surveillance testing is to find out that far more people have been exposed to the virus, but that were otherwise healthy and asymptomatic. Jonathan Cohen is the founder, president, and CEO of 2020 Gene Systems. His biotech company in Potomac, Maryland specializes in biotesting. His company created an early detection test for lung cancer, a biodetection kit for suspicious powders used by first responders, and an artificial intelligence tool used to help treat tumors. But as so many leaders in the biotech industry, Jonathan has redirected his energy in a big way recently using his expertise and business connections to help Americans struggling with the new realities of the pandemic. Welcome to I Am Bio. Jim, thanks for having me. You specialize in cancer testing and artificial intelligence, but like so many biotech companies, you and your board decided to step up in a dramatic way to be part of the solution in this pandemic. So tell us about those conversations and how you decided to make this move. So our company, this is not the first time we decided to um, step up uh, to try to meet a national need. Back uh, in the um, in the wake of the anthrax incidents, we took technology and invented a product called BioCheck, a rapid test to screen suspicious powders. Our current focus is early cancer detection. What we do is we take standard uh, tumor marker tests like PSA or CEA and power them with machine learning algorithms to improve accuracy. And in doing that, we forged relationships throughout East Asia, in particular China, uh, where these tests are popular and we could acquire a lot of data. So starting in mid-February, when the sort of center of gravity of this pandemic was in China, we began to reach out uh, to our collaborators in that country and learned about these rapid antibody tests, which were just starting to come online in China. And seeing that uh, it looked, was beginning to appear that uh, we would be impacted here in the United States, we interviewed probably half a dozen manufacturers. Now I think there's over 25 just in China alone. We narrowed it down really to two companies that we thought had uh, good enough data that we could move forward with them and secured um, distribution relationships, exclusive distribution relationships with two of those companies. Did you have to send people to China during the, the height of the pandemic there? Like everyone, we had to use various forms of, of telecommunication to communicate, but we, we were able to do, you know, to do the due diligence. There are also 
um, various um, organizations in China that specialize in quality control, kind of third-party validation that we were able to tap into. So using all of that, we, we acquired distribution rights to, to what we consider very solid, very reputable companies. So far the, in the United States, there's been about a million uh, people have, that have been tested. Uh, and that's more than any other country in total numbers, but not uh, per capita. Our testing so far has been focused mostly on people with serious health symptoms that indicate possible COVID-19 infection. Your company is working on distributing different kinds of tests, though, antibody tests. So talk a little bit for folks who don't understand how this all works about how your tests differ from the nasal swabs. You're measuring the antibodies. That's right. So as you pointed out, so there's really two main categories of testing uh, for COVID-19. First, there are the, the nasal swab tests that we've all been hearing about on an almost daily basis for the past six weeks or so. Uh, they're in much demand. And those tests are, are, are a direct approach. You're looking directly for the, the RNA that is the, basically the, the brains of the virus. The virus is essentially a piece of RNA wrapped in a, in a coat, a protein coat with, various, with those spikes on it. So, so that, that approach has, like all testing approaches, has strengths and limitations. Um, aside from the, uh, the practicality of, of those tests the, and, the, and, the, and the long turnaround, of those tests. Um, one of the challenges is there are false negatives uh, anywhere between 15 to 25 percent, according to published studies. The problem is not all virus uh, makes its way into the nasal passageway that is accessible by the swab. So there is a potential of false negatives with that approach. Uh, uh, there have been a number of publications where they advocate what I would call a belt and suspenders approach. In other words, do both. You do both the swab RNA test for the virus, and you also look at blood. Blood, by its very nature, being circulatory, you don't have the sampling problem. Um, you don't have the anatomical problem of trying to get that swab deep enough into the nasal passageway. So you do the, you, you combine blood testing with, uh, with the, the PCR or swab testing to avoid missing true positives. So where are you in process now? Are, you, are they manufacturing them in China and then you're importing them here and have you begun to distribute them in the U.S.? Right. So this is changing almost by the day or actually by the hour. And I, I want to emphasize uh, one important thing um, that I know that as a, as, as a leader in the biotechnology industry, bio emphasizes the, the importance of quality science and quality data. And we, as a biotech company, uh, uh, see that as a core part of our, of our values and our mission. So there are, to be fair, these products are, I would call, gen are generic in nature. They look not unlike a home pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. It's a cassette with a membrane in it, and you, you literally prick your finger and, and, and press on a little pad a little a little uh, opening at the beginning and and put a couple drops of buffer and and in a few minutes two to three minutes um stripes will appear if if depending on whether or not either the of two antibodies one called igm and the other called igg are present or not 
So that's basically the configuration. There are at least two dozen companies that we know of in the United States that are marketing them. Just today, we're going to begin shipping to some of the first uh, uh, medical groups that ordered these tests. And what, what are the regulatory hurdles that you face in, in doing this? In this case, the FDA has really done a good job. So right now, for what are called serology tests, which are blood tests for antibodies, um, the FDA is not reviewing them or approving or clearing them. The guidance that was issued on May 16th sets forth is the following. A, a, a manufacturer or distributor in the United States can distribute them to, for point-of-care medical practice only, not for home use, not for over-the-counter or direct-to-consumer, but can distribute them for medical professional use if they provide notice to the FDA that the test has been validated now, if, if and when we, just, we believe that a test like this should be made available to, to consumers for use at home uh, or that they can buy on, uh, on Amazon or at a local drugstore, and I do believe that we will reach that point probably sometime in May. Has anyone reached that point yet? Not to my knowledge. That requires what's called an EUA or an emergency youth authorization. That will almost certainly get more regulatory scrutiny. Many experts, including many here in the United States, believe that the, the best use for these types of antibody tests are at the so-called back end, or when we are on the other side of the curve, when employers, particularly large employers, have the tough decision, should my people, should my workforce come back to work, should they stay home, and so forth then if one has elevated antibody but is asymptomatic, that, that is probably a good thing. It probably means that that individual has been exposed, has built up immunity, and may be in a position to go back to work. I'm not, uh, I'm not an immunologist. I'm not an authority on that. I'm merely citing what seems to be out. I think this will be changing you know, almost by the week, and I would urge your listeners to consult with medical professionals who will have access, hopefully, to the latest studies coming out of uh, university research. Because, yeah, that's a critical issue because what's important is, am I in the process where I'm still potentially could transmit the infection to someone else, or have I gone through this, the process and now um, am no longer shedding virus, right? That's pretty critical. I think that's right. If I'm not mistaken, even this week, uh, Deborah Burks, coordinator of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, who was asked about antibody testing. I believe she said, if you have elevated antibody, there's about a 99% chance that you are not likely to be infected, but that you are not shedding virus. So right. um, again, I, I would urge your listeners to, if and when these tests start to come out um, and become available so-called over-the-counter, which I think there's a reasonable chance will happen over the next maybe four to six weeks, that um, they, they keep a close eye on the, what the CDC and the White House Coronavirus Task Force are saying about how these tests can be used. And, and what about affordability and access to these uh, tests? What is your assumption about the extent that insurers will or will not cover these, whether 
programs like Medicare and Medicaid would cover them? Or do you think this is going to be if they're if you're buying them from Amazon, that it's really just going to be a customer paying cash? Right. So the good news about these tests is that they're very affordable. The average selling price right now is about $20. That price is probably going to move around. I will tell you there is there is a huge supply issue um, right now mm-hmm. that may change. I would say about 70% of the manufactured product, to the best of my knowledge, is, is coming from China, maybe another 10 to 20% from Korea. And I would say the balance is in the in the Western world. That will probably change in the coming weeks. I think some of the large manufacturers here will be introducing their tests later in the month and in Europe as well. So I think that balance is going to change. But right now, we, we just heard this morning that our supply has gone up. Even though we had a firm quote, that, that has gone up. So we don't know how long the price will be at $20. It may go up. It may go down, depending on supply and demand. But, um, but, but generally speaking, these are very, very affordable tests. So there's still a lot of conflicting information about the true death rate from COVID-19. Um, how can antibody tests be deployed to help us get some clarity on this question? I've heard some thinking that by doing what's called surveillance testing, by doing mass testing, which I think is going on, I think Europe is a few weeks ahead of us. And this is one of the reasons why it's hard to get supply. Germany, for example, has bought you know, millions and millions of these tests. And I believe Switzerland and France are placing orders as well. The advantage of surveillance testing is if you find out that m- far more people have been exposed to the virus that were otherwise healthy and asymptomatic, what percentage of cases or people that are infected succumb you know, to the disease and, and, and die from it? Um, if you increase the, the denominator, the, the bottom half of that fraction in a big way, then that percentage will obviously drop. So there is some interest by epidemiologists, for example, and policymakers to have this type of surveillance testing. And as we know, it is unlikely that the swab PCR is going to be available anytime soon for large numbers of asymptomatic people. To the best of my knowledge, those tests are still being husbanded for for people that are either sick or or had immediate contact with somebody that was confirmed, um, and also healthcare workers and and first responders. Um, If you want to test the country in mass, I believe the only practical way, an affordable way to do that is with some form of antibody testing, probably the finger stick type rather than the the laboratory version. Well, I think your math is right. The, the numerator is pretty much certain. And we know how many people are dying from the disease. What, what we don't know is the denominator at all, because we, as you've said, we don't know how many people are uh, infected and don't know it or haven't been uh, counted and observed by the healthcare system. So um, that will be an important source of data. I I read something this morning where when you get to the issue of testing antibodies to see who who has been infected and who has overcome the infection, there's actually some talk about having um, uh, antibody or immunity passports in Europe where in order to go back to work or to travel about or to be with, with other people, you've got to be able to carry your papers that so, show that you are neither at risk of, of being infected or infecting others. Yep. 
So one of the more interesting and fascinating things about the approach you've taken is you financed a lot of this work through something called equity crowdfunding. So tell us about this platform and who's investing and why has it become such an effective tool in a bear market? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, so the JOBS Act, and I know that BIO was, was one of the strong proponents of that legislation, it changed the securities laws in, in many profound ways. Really, since the Great Depression, uh, 1930s, only high net worth individuals, only, frankly, wealthy people were allowed to invest in a pre-IPO company, a private company, unless it was a close friend or neighbor that was starting the company. Now, Americans of all economic levels pretty much can invest in a private company through what is called equity crowdfunding. This is different than Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Those are rewards crowdfunding where you get a a t-shirt or a coffee mug. With equity crowdfunding, you can actually own, essentially own a piece of the company. 2020 has been somewhat of a pioneer among life science companies in leveraging it. We have raised well over $6 million so far from equity crowdfunding. Um, And basically people can go online. We're currently on a portal called StartEngine, one word, startengine.com. We're probably the company with the most momentum. And what what we have found is that, as you pointed out, it is very much a bear market, obviously, because of the pandemic. And uh, institutional investors are, are obviously keeping their powder dry. Uh, they're, they're, they're holding holding their cash. Uh, but, but we have seen no slowdown whatsoever in investment uh, throughout this, uh, this unfortunate time period. In fact, if anything, we've probably seen an increase. Now, this isn't the first time 2020 Gene Systems has responded to a serious crisis. Um, tell us about the work you did after the anthrax attacks in 2001. I remember them well. I was in Congress, and, um, and we all had to leave Washington for an extended period of time. Right. So, so during, actually, right in the midst of the anthrax incidents, we, I took some of my scientists, and we went and spoke to uh, the local fire department here in Montgomery County, Maryland, to assess their needs. In an earlier life, I was a volunteer firefighter, and I was very interested in, in, in basically doing what we could to help with the problem. And, and they said, we, we had a lot of grandiose ideas for very sophisticated technology solutions that would have taken months to, to, to get up to speed. And they said, all that sounds great, but what can you do for us today? Because at the time, they were being called you know, literally every five minutes for a suspicious powder call, 99.99% of which were simple benign substances like sugar from a powdered donut, drywall dust from ceiling tiles, and so forth. So we literally, in a matter of days, uh, developed a product which was called BioCheck that essentially is a protein test to rule out the majority of things that cause people to call 911. So we configured it to make it practical. And to this day, this literally many years after that, we still, first responders, uh, hazardous materials teams and fire departments throughout the United States and around the world use this product uh, as the first line of testing for, for suspicious powders. So again, this is an example where innovative small biotech companies in a time of national need can step up 
um, take look at their assets, look at their intellectual property, their know-how, their business relationships, and put their shoulder to the wheel to help uh, the, the country at a time of emergencies. Perhaps one of the, the silver linings of this national emergency will be a newfound recognition and appreciation, particularly on the part of policymakers, uh, on the role of, of life science innovators of all shapes and sizes, whether it's a small company like 2020 uh, focused on diagnostics and detections or, or large pharmaceutical companies and everything in between. Um, I know I speaking for my own company and our people, we're 24 seven on this. Uh, and, and we are, uh, you know, working around the clock to try to deliver a quality product. So I know you and your colleagues are experts in artificial intelligence. So tell us about your work on coronavirus antibody app. That sounds pretty interesting. So one of the things we did with our cancer test, we have a product called one test. We built a machine learning algorithm to substantially, not incrementally, improve diagnostic accuracy. We are planning to do something very similar. At some point, the FDA will grant an emergency youth authorization for at least one company. Maybe it will be ours. Maybe it will be our competitors. But someone will probably make the case that these tests should be available at, at CVS, at Walgreens, on Amazon, and so forth and that they will be common. I could be wrong about that, but that's how I see things playing out sometime in the next maybe six to eight weeks. And, and in that situation, there's gonna be enormous uh, need for, for people to have information. So what we're planning to develop and introduce is an app where somebody can take a picture of their, of their membrane, of the strip. Imagine a home pregnancy test. I think we've all seen this. It looks a lot like that okay, with stripes on it. And they could be able to take a picture and upload it to the cloud and compare their results to that of hundreds of thousands or millions of people around the world and, and provide some additional clarity on their risk level. Now, we're not going to tell people you should go back to work, you should be, remain uh, sheltered in place, uh, maintain social distancing. We're not, we're not going to provide medical advice. Certainly the FDA would not allow it and it would not be responsible. We don't tell people you have cancer, you do not have cancer. We say X percentage of people with the same biomarker values and clinical factors were diagnosed with cancer within a year of testing. We envision doing something like that um, with this. So the details still are, are being worked out. This week, we filed a patent application. Um, we're beginning to talk to the big players. We're, we want to partner on this because a lot's got to get done. For this to happen, a lot has to get done. So we see a real opportunity to make a difference. Some of us have been warning of the uh, impending pandemic. Uh, I'm on a, I serve on a, a thing called the Bipartisan Commission on Biodefense, and I have since 2014. It's co-chaired by former National um, Homeland Security Secretary Tom Ridge and former Senator Joe Lieberman, former Senator Daschle serves on there with me as well. And we started, we, we actually wrote in, in 2015, October of 2015, we issued a blueprint for a national blueprint for biodefense and said that the country wasn't ready and the country was not ready. And we're paying a horrible, horrible price for that. But I think the fact of the matter is that now that it has happened, the policymakers 
have uh, have awakened to the fact that this was not just a, a crying wolf, um, but that uh, it was something that we should have been far more prepared for. We'll learn much from this. Um, I don't I don't know that one can say that there will be more pandemics uh, like this in the uh, more frequently. Um, but there are reasons to believe that given the, the amount of, of intercontinental um, travel that goes on uh, and the increasing mobility of the world's population, that that may very well be the case. So the kind of technology that you and, and so many others in our uh, membership are uh, engaged in, uh, at least at a minimum, that there's a silver lining here, it is that we'll be far more prepared in the future. Let's end on a hopeful note. As a diagnostics expert, can you tell us how antibody testing could reduce public fear and get us closer to a pandemic end game? The consensus among experts seems to be that with widespread surveillance testing, in other words, not only people that are sick or had close contact with somebody who was diagnosed, but widespread testing, if, if somebody is shown to have antibodies to this virus, that probably means that they are safe, uh, that they're, they're unlikely to either be exposed or to expose to others. So it appears that these types of tests will be part of uh, uh, our nation's and other nations' recovery uh, from this, this pandemic. And then we'll be able to go back to work, and then the economy will, will pick up, unemployment lines will go down, and there will be an end to this very long and dark period. Thank you, Jonathan, for the time. It's been a fascinating conversation. I wish you well, and we'll keep watching your progress. Appreciate it, Jim. Thanks. Thanks again. Stay safe. Well, that's all for today. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast player, follow us, and share with your friends. Our next episode will take you inside the biotechnology industry's work to deliver a treatment and a vaccine that can outwit the novel coronavirus. As people sequester themselves in their homes and worry about the health risks and economic impacts, it's all hands on deck for biotech researchers working to bring next generation technology to bear to solve the worst pandemic in a century. The great battle has begun. It's biotech versus coronavirus on the next I Am Bio.